Hey, you're listening to the Time and Talks podcast. I'm your host, Dejal V. Patel, and this is the place where we have refreshingly real talks about the biggest problems moms face in motherhood and life and the spiritual solutions to solve them. If you're ready to reset your mindset with some major truth bombs, well then, let's dive in. Namaste, mods and mamas. Welcome back to another episode of the Time and Talks podcast. I have a topic today that I know you're gonna love. So do you find yourself losing your cool with your kids more often than you like? You snap, shout, and scream. You're irritable almost every day and you find yourself yelling more often than you'd like to admit. You know you want to be a more calmer, more intentional parent, but no matter how hard you try or how much you promise yourself, you keep losing it. Guys, you are not alone, my friends. We all freak out in our own way. Rather than wallowing in the gut-wrenching guilt, the all-consuming shame, or biting self-criticism, I have an expert on today's podcast who's going to bring humor, witty banter, wisdom, and self-compassion to this topic. Parenting is stressful, y'all. Children are insane, and you're only human. The guest on today's podcast is Carla Nomberg. She's a writer, mother, and clinical social worker who was at a loss with her own daughters so that she found herself Googling how to stop yelling at my kids during a particularly grueling evening. That moment led to this book, How to Stop Losing Your Beep with Your Kids, a short, empathic, insight-packed, and tip-filled program on how to manage your triggers, stop the meltdowns, and become a calmer, happier parent with calmer, happier kids. She not only explains why we explode on our kids, but also teaches us everything we need to know to decrease stress and increase patience, even in the most challenging family moments. This book is based on recent research and evidence-based practices and written in a warm, funny, instantly relatable tone of a parent who's been there. She really guides the most harried parents towards a new way of engaging with their children, and we will come away feeling less ashamed and more empowered to get our beep together instead of losing it. Carla is actually the author of three parenting books, the best-selling How to Stop Losing Your Beep with Your Kids, which is what we're going to be dishing about today, Ready, Set, Breathe, Practicing Mindfulness with Your Children for Fewer Meltdowns in a More Peaceful Family, and Parenting in the Present Moment, How to Stay Focused on What Really Matters. In this episode, you'll hear practical yet relatable tips on how to stop losing your cool with your kids by understanding your unique triggers, how to make your buttons smaller so they're not pressable, why stop losing your cool isn't a matter of willpower and tips on self-compassion. Before we get started, I want to give you guys a quick update with my Meditation for Kids book, which is launching in April 2020. Please save the date for the book launches. If you're in the East Coast, I'm having an event in Hoboken, New Jersey on May 9th. And if you're on the West Coast, whoop, whoop, I'm having one in Orange County on May 16th. Put the dates in your calendars now. I'm working on some incredible pre-order bonus gifts, um, some free training videos, and many additional resources to help help make family meditation a new practice in your home for 2020. So without further ado, let's welcome Carla to the show, who's going to help us press the reset button on losing your beep with your kids. Carla, thank you so, so much for being here on the Time and Talks podcast, and you're going to help us press the reset button on how to not lose your beep 
with your kids. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. So as we start every podcast, like you guys know, we do an icebreaker question. And since we're talking about something that's always on top of our mind, how to not lose your cool with your kids. Carla, I felt like it would be just so fitting to start off our conversation with you sharing what are your signs that you know that you're about to lose your cool with your kids? And did you ever have a freak out moment, which you kind of share in your book, call them freak out moments, with your child that was kind of out of the norm? Hmm. Okay. So the first question I can definitely answer. I have to think more about the second. Um, so my signs, I call them my little red flags. This is when my body and my mind are letting me know that I'm about to lose it and I need to, you know, slow things down. One is that my shoulders go way up to my ears. And you would think that I would notice that, but for years I really didn't. I would walk around like wearing my shoulders like earrings and not realize it. So my shoulders get very tense. I get very snippy with my kids. So mm -hmm. I start answering them in like one word. Yes, no, fine. Um, and I start having fantasies about wandering the aisles of Target alone. I'm just like, I just wish I was in some, or Barnes and Noble, wherever, just some big box store. I just wish I was there alone. If I'm going to fantasize, why not fantasize about the beach? I don't know, but I never do. It's like Staples. I just want to be in Staples by myself. That is funny. <laughs> so when I notice those sort of three things, that's when I know I'm about 30 seconds away from losing it. Um, in terms of a freak out that's like a good story, mm, I don't know. I, I just, I lose it all the time. No, I don't lose it all the time anymore. I used to. And I would say that, no, I mean, I've lost it in grocery stores. I've lost it in my house. I've lost it in the car. The car is a good place to lose it. I do that a lot. Um, but, you know, I don't think I have one that's totally crazy. But ever since I started really learning about the strategies that you and I are going to talk about, I really don't lose it as much. I would say the one thing I do that's maybe a little out of the normal is that now more often than not, instead of yelling at my kids, I'll like do like something blah, 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 or I'll cluck <laughs> like a chicken at them or I'll make a weird sound or start speaking in a terrible accent, um, which is just funny and a good way for me to get this kind of tense energy out of my body. But I, yeah, I think that's probably the craziest thing I do. Yeah. You know, the reason why I wanted to start that, I don't know if you get that because you now writing a book about this, do you ever get people saying like, oh, now that you've mastered this, that it's never going to happen anymore? That's the, yes. No, absolutely. Look all the time. Um, and I sometimes think, oh, if my readers could be a fly on the wall in my house, you know, that we're all in this together. And I hope that really came through in the new book that um, I'm not perfect. I, you know, I still lose my temper with my kids. And sometimes they'll be like, but mommy, you wrote the book about this. You're not. And I was like, oh, that's yeah. about my child. Um, but it's a balance, right? On the one hand, yeah, I still get frustrated. I still get cranky. I still lose it. And I think that you can absolutely be in a healthy, flexible, loving, connected relationship and lose your temper sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. And I want my kids to learn that that's a thing that happens in relationships. Yeah. But for me, when my daughters were young, um, it got to a point where this was really like a dominate, dominating dynamic between us that I was losing my temper. And I didn't want it to be that way. And now it's not. Now it's the exception rather than the rule. But yeah, there are definitely times when people might be in my house and be like, that woman wrote a parenting book? <laughs> what? Like, 
Um, cause you gotta be real. You gotta yeah. be real with people. And that's what, you know, your new book, how to not lose your beep, which is the S word with your kids. I completely love how you take, have taken a uh, topic that elicits a lot of shame and heavy emotions. Mm-hmm. I know that uh-huh. I've sat with it, but you've made it very humorous because you're, you made it in a way that you're sitting with someone at a coffee shop and it's with your best girlfriend and they're dropping the S bomb and you know, you're just talking about your, you share very real struggles with when your ta- daughters were younger, your Carla's daughters are now 11 and nine and a half. Correct. correct. Um, so they're a little bit older than a lot of us moms that are listening to this podcast. We have more toddlers who are in the preschool phase. So, you know, we are definitely in the the midst of what I think is like that frame of mind of like, we're losing ourselves and our, you know, I keep wanting to say the S word because I said it. But I keep saying for you guys, it's so, if you feel like I'm fighting it, it is. I'm like, I just want to say the word. We're Um, losing our Shazam. (laughs) Shazam, yes. Um, You know, I'm losing my Shazam at the kids because that does happen. And I just want to be really honest with um, you and my listeners. So I was really looking for a book like this about a year and a half ago. And so I grew up in a family, there was a lot of anger, there was a lot of rage. And I knew that was deep within me because I had bouts of it come out in my relationship, in my romantic relationships. So I knew that lived within me because of my experience of what I had in my childhood. And, you know, I'm so naive. And I will say this now looking back on it is that, you know, I started meditating and practicing yoga before I got pregnant with my first son. So I was infusing this into, you know, motherhood at a very, you know, at the early phases. And I really did have my stuff together up until my son took turn about three. And I thought I was like, wow, I got this. I'm such a patient parent. But then they start talking back and then they start getting angry at you. And you're like, whoa. And it's like, how is this person that you love so much also trigger you like almost on a day-to-day basis? And one thing that I love that you shared in your book that really transformed my perspective of me feeling like I was failing was that, you, like you just mentioned, re- in relationships, a conflict or like having a disagreement or getting upset or getting angry is normal. It's not like, you know, having conflicts is not a sign that you're failing as a parent. Mm -hmm. Uh, Losing it is not a sign that you're failing as a parent. And um, so I really, I really took a lot away from this book, but that was the one key thing is like, okay, having these moments of anger or having these uncomfortability is not a sign that I'm a bad parent or I'm not, I don't have my stuff together. Um, You know, in, in a world where when you ask any parent, there's nothing more than we want that our kids to be happy and to have a good relationship with our kids. So can you share, why is it that we find ourselves freaking out with our kids more often and more harshly than anyone else? You mean freaking out with them more than we do with the other people in our lives? Yes. Like why, yeah. why is it elicit that losing our Shazam? I'm going to keep saying that because I want to <laughs> Losing our Shazam with, and more so because for a lot of moms, they said, I never used to lose it like this. And why do I rage and get so irritated and get so upset almost maybe even on a daily basis with my kids? And we love them the most. Yeah. Look, there's a, this is a great question. And there's a few different reasons. One, on a most basic level, for the majority, for many, many parents, uh, we spend more time with our children than we do other people in our lives. Mm-hmm. So um, just statistically speaking, with that more time, we're more likely to lose it with them. Uh, The other reason um, is because 
we can, and there's no major consequence. Like we can't be pissed at our kids and then march off to work and lose it with our boss because we might get reprimanded or fired or something. Right. So we can, because our kids are really wired to stay in relationship with us. So they'll do whatever they can to stay connected. But the other reason, and this is something I really talk about a lot in the book is that their fingers are the right size for our buttons. So let me explain what I mean. In the book, I talk about sort of the neurobiology, really basic neurobiology of why we exploded our children. And it has to do with our nervous system being sent into fight, flight, freeze, or freak out mode. We've all heard of fight or flight mode. It's when you know our bodies are flooded with stress hormones, our muscles get tense, our heart rate speeds up, our pupils dilate, we breathe more shallowly, and we get very focused on survival. So this, you know, obviously evolved at a time when we were running away from saber-toothed tigers or whatever it is. But now we still have this very physical response in a world where most of the threats to us are relational, social, emotional, interpersonal. And so our kids come along and they push our buttons, right? Oh, the button thing. Let me explain that. So Mm -hmm. when we are triggered, when our fight, flight, freeze, or freak out system is ramped up, I think about it as though we have these buttons all over our body and they get big and bright and red and super sensitive. And really anything could push that button, right? The driver in traffic cutting you off, you know, another mom at preschool pickup saying something obnoxious, a a painful memory that comes up out of nowhere. But for the purposes of this book, the way I think about it is that our kids come along and push our buttons. Why do they do it? Well, it's because what that's what kids do. I mean, anybody who's ever been in an elevator with a kid and seen that red button, the kids are like, I want to push the red one. Let me push the red one. And why do they do it? They do it because they're wired to stay in relationship with us because we're the ones that literally keep them safe. So they know that's how they stay alive. They are driven for our attention or maybe they're triggered. Maybe they're upset or scared or anxious or hungry or tired. And so they're acting out, you know, in ways that push our buttons. So I would say that, if parents feel like they're losing it more with their children than other people in their lives, and that was absolutely the case for me when my daughters were little, it's not because you're not a good parent. It's not because you're not strong enough or you don't have enough willpower. It's because you're walking around triggered either because you're exhausted or you're stressed or you're anxious or you're in pain or you're in grief or you're overwhelmed by life or you're confused or powerless. I mean, there's a million different things that can trigger us. Um, And then our kids come along and push our buttons because that's what kids do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that anybody who's, I know for a fact, anybody who's on a journey being a parent who's self-aware is recognizing when this is happening, that I'm losing it and they're having the willingness to change. And they probably have either read a blog or like you said, they Googled how to not yell at my kids or, you know, they're trying to read books. But I think there's something different that your book does then, because this is something that I I personally have been looking for answers to because I couldn't understand why is it that sometimes I can keep my cool, but then other times I, the same type of situation can happen Mm -hmm. and I completely lose it without like any pause of, like having any sort of like awareness of like pausing before I act. And for me, it was interesting because I'm like, wait, I did meditate in the morning. Why is this still happening? But your book is different because you don't focus on what you call like the shoulda, woulda, coulda moments. Can you explain what your your approach to trying to handle and understand how to not lose your cool is that goes beyond what other books and other blogs and other things that other people might read? Sure. So 
The Googling thing that you mentioned happened when my daughters were quite young, like two or three, and we were having a really rough night and I kept yelling at them and I felt so bad about it, but we couldn't seem to break out of this cycle. So finally I put him down in front of the TV and cause I was like better that they melt their brains in front of the TV than I keep <laughs> screaming at them. Right. And of course I felt guilty about that. And then I literally sat at my computer and Googled, how do I stop yelling at my kids? And bear in mind, at this point, I was in the process of finishing a doctorate in clinical social work, which is basically an advanced degree in like big feelings and confusing thoughts. So I I should have known this, but I didn't. So if you parents are struggling with this, please know you're not alone. So I Googled this and I found all of these suggestions for what you can do instead of yelling at your kids. You can, and it's nothing you guys haven't heard before, you know, count to 10, take a bunch of deep breaths, you know, jump up and down, do whatever it is. And so I I made my little list of all these things I was going to do, but you know, within a day I was yelling again and it's like, well, if I could have done these things, I would have done these things, but clearly something's not connecting because I can't do them. Mm-hmm. And that's what sent me on this journey through mindfulness and self-compassion and all of these sort of places that I went to try to figure this out. And what I realized is, first of all, I was, the the yelling I was doing was, it was a problem, but it was not the problem. It was a symptom of the bigger problems that I was dealing with at the time, including exhaustion, exhaustion and postpartum anxiety. And the fatigue is a major trigger for all of us. We can't function at our best when we're tired. Um, And also anxiety is a major trigger for most folks. And in fact, irritability is a symptom of anxiety, which many people don't realize. And I had sort of forgotten in the chaos. So the first, I would say, most important step is figuring out not only how to address our triggers, but also to have this awareness of when we are triggered anyway. So for me, I learned that I need about eight hours of sleep a night or I'm kind of a mess. Some people can function on less. I can't. Mm -hmm. I need exercise every day, whether it's yoga or a brisk walk outside or going to the gym. Like I have to get exercise every day or I'm a mess. And again, you didn't hear me say I'm training for a marathon or doing CrossFit. I just need something. I have to move my body. Um, and those are, and I got treatment for my anxiety, right? And so that was about talking to a therapist. That was about figuring out what I needed to do Mm -hmm. to manage my anxiety, by the way, sleep and exercise help with that. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of like preventative maintenance, right? It reduces my triggers. So these buttons aren't as big and bright and red and pushable. So when my kids come along with their fingers out, they're less likely to find a button to push. Now you also mentioned though, sort of what do we do? How do we not lose it in the moment because you talked about there are some days when you've meditated, you've done all these things you're supposed to do and you get triggered and you lose it anyway. And why does that happen? Well, I don't know, maybe your kids hit a new developmental phase and they're coming at you and they found a new button, right? Mm -hmm. They're like showing up with something that you're like, I didn't even know that was a button for me, but you're clearly pushing it. Maybe life happens. You know, you do all the things right, but unfortunate, unpleasant, yucky things still happen. And we're still upset. We might not even realize it. And so what I really recommend to parents is the first step. And this is something that I hadn't read in a book anywhere. And I had to really, it was my mindfulness practice that helped me realize this is we need to notice when we're triggered and when we're about to lose it, which goes back to your first question, right? Mm -hmm. And can we, you know, noticing is so powerful because when you notice it's like, oh, this is happening for me and I have a choice about how I'm going to respond as opposed to, you know, Oh, this train's on the tracks. It's going, there's nothing I can do about it. And it's like, it's like, are you going to be the actor in this really terrible play? Or are you going to stop stuff off the stage and be like, 
I can be an observer and decide how I want this play to work out. So I always say to parents, let's work on noticing. And what are you going to notice? What are your red flags? The next step is just to pause, you know, and this was a thing that, again, I didn't know about. I thought I should just be instantly able to decide not to freak out. I thought it was a willpower thing, right? If I'm a strong enough, good enough mother, I'm not going to lose it. When you are triggered, it's not about willpower. It's about calming yourself down. Right. So when we pause, it's like we're sending a message to our nervous system saying, hey, there's no threat. Like things might be a little chaotic right now, but you're okay. Let's calm the system down. Because if there was really an actual saber tooth tiger coming at us, we would not be pausing. There's no pause there. There's like run away. Right. So when we pause, then we can make a different choice. Right. And so for me, like I said, sometimes that choice involves making silly sounds. Sometimes I do jump up and down. Sometimes I actually like feel compelled to hug my children. Like in that moment, I want physical contact with them. Sometimes I'm like, I need to go in the other room. And if you follow me, I will probably yell at you. Like, just know that if you come in the other room and follow me, I'm going to lose it because I'm not calm yet. And I would much rather my kids hear that from me than have me lose it at them. Because how great would it be if your son said to your other son someday, hey, buddy, I need some space from you or I'm going to throw this toy. Mm -hmm. Like we totally, that's great modeling. So I think the difference is our sort of knowing that we need to take care of ourselves so we don't lose it. I mean, I think a lot of us talk about self-care, but we don't think about that as being directly relevant to our tempers. And then also in those moments, having these strategies, notice, pause, and do anything else. Making you feel lethargic. And it's absolutely earth energy. It's, it's weighing you down and you need to invigorate yourself with different exercise. So when you're talking about on a given day, I need space or on a given day, I need physical touch. It's because we're experiencing different types of stress on any different occasion. And then we need different tools to help us calm down. So that's why I loved that it was in a book form. I'm like, I got to ask her, does she know that there's so much synergy in what you're saying that the science, what I thought is great is now science and evidence-based is whether we realize it or not is syncing with this holistic. Oh, I love it. So um, everything that you're saying, like, I love the visualization and it's absolutely true. Recognizing that what are your triggers? Like, okay, my body's starting to get hot. And when you said like you get snippy from my voice, my, I start talking really fast, like, okay, Mm. do this and then do this. Like I giving too many directions. So really like with the mindfulness practice, I realize you know, with all the moms that, you know, a lot of the moms who listen do meditation and mindfulness, now start using that before you actually feel like you're going to lose it. Start training yourself like your book says and helps us figure out what are your signs that your triggers that you're about to lose it is invaluable information. And it looks different for each of us because like you said, everyone freaks out differently, right? So everybody. So I just wanted to share that. that. Yeah, it's it's just really fascinating to me. And you talk a lot about like owning your triggers and owning your buttons, which mm-hmm. we talked about, which is I think like the real crux of what is the type of lifestyle that you're leading that is either making it conducive to be stress resilient or promoting stress in your life. And that's going to be able to kind of tell like you're more likely to lose it because of whether you're asleep or you're not moving your body to let the energy out or all these different things. And your book has tons of different, you know, you have 11 different tools to kind of work with your nervous system to calm it down. But it's just 
very ingenious. And I love that you're focusing not on the moment, but like everything around the moment, which actually is more important almost to to determine if you're going to lose it or not. So how do you define not losing it? Oh, I love this. Thank you for asking this. Thank you for asking this. So I think there is this image out there that a a good mother, and that's not even a phrase that I use. I actually can't, I don't think there's such a thing as a good parent or a bad parent, but that a, a good parent, that if you're not losing it, then you're calm and patient and smiling and present. And um, that anything that deviates from that is not skillful or effective or good parenting. And I say, nope, not true. So I think that two things have happened in our culture that have led us to believe this. One is social media, right? The images that we are fed every day and that we consume reinforce this idea that what a quote unquote good mother looks like is a smiling, happy mother who is patient even through difficult situations. And it promotes this idea that somebody out there has sort of nailed this parenting thing, that they figured it out and that if the rest of us just do the right research and work hard enough, we're going to figure it out too. So that's a lie, right? All of us struggle. All of us have hard moments. All of us have big feelings. All of us get mad and frustrated and confused and anxious. Okay. The other thing that's made this a problem is like what I call the happiness industry, Mm -hmm. which is this idea that like not only advertisers and um, stores have promoted, but also researchers that happiness is the goal. And that if we work hard enough and do the right things, we will be happy. And the flip side of that is if we're not happy or if our kids aren't happy, we've done something wrong, Mm -hmm. except sometimes, and I would say on a daily basis, things happen that aren't happy, like really, really bad, scary things happen, confusing things or just annoying things. Right. And so I would love it if my kids were happy, but that's not actually my goal for them. My goal for my kids is to know how to function when they're not happy because not happy is human reality, right? There are a million different ways to be not happy. And I just want my kids to know that it's okay to not be happy. It's okay to have scary, uncomfortable feelings. So what does it look like as a parent when we're not losing it with our kids? Well, I think losing it is about a loss of control. Mm -hmm. It's about an overreaction to a moment because maybe we're not actually reacting to our kids. We're reacting to something from our childhood or something else that's going on in our lives, even if we don't realize it. Um, And I would say that the, the dominating feature of losing it is that it feels toxic, by which I mean it's confusing and it's damaging to our relationship with our children. And what kids do is rather than thinking to themselves, oh, mom or dad must have had a really bad day or maybe they didn't sleep well last night and that's why they're cranky at me, what they think is, I've done something wrong and that's why they're mad at me. And so if I can do better, then maybe they won't get mad at me. And that's just the way kids think. They're mm-hmm. sort of very egotistical by nature. It's normal. <laughs> um, right? It's, it's yeah, it is. It's very true. I love that you said that. Yeah, how their brains work. Yeah. And so um, what I think, and th- the problem with that is that over time, you know, they're so driven to stay connected to us that over time, they'll keep trying to adjust themselves and change themselves to try to make us do better. But since they're not the reason we're freaking out the way we are, it's not going to work. And they're going to end up feeling very powerless. And they're going to end up sort of, it's just, it's a terrible dynamic. And it weakens our and damages our relationships with our kids. So what does it look like instead when we're not losing it? Well, first of all, I think it looks like not Um, I think it looks like owning our difficult, unpleasant emotions. You can absolutely be angry with your child. 
you can be frustrated or confused. Like you can be overwhelmed. There's nothing wrong with having these emotions and there's nothing wrong with sharing them with your kid in hopefully a developmentally appropriate way. Like you don't want to lecture your three-year-old about mortgages and how you're so stressed about your mortgage because they're going to be like, what the hell is going on? But it is okay to say, you know, mommy's having a hard day. Yes. Like you can say that to a three-year-old. Do you ever have hard days? Well, of course, three-year-olds have hard days. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, or I will say to my daughters now, you know what? I'm so tired and cranky. I'm really not at my best self. And I I feel like you're nagging me. And if I keep getting nagged, I'm probably going to lose it with you because that's where I am today. And sometimes um, not losing with my kids actually means snapping at them and then being like, okay, mom's not on it right now. Like we all need some space. Right. Sometimes not losing it with my kids actually means losing it with them and then apologizing. Mm-hmm. So there are so many different options, but I think that sharing your emotions with your kids in a way that helps them craft a narrative about what's happening. So sometimes I'll lose it and then I'll say, you know what, guys, I'm sorry. I lost it because I'm tired and I'm really worried about X, Y, or Z. And if X, Y, or Z is something I'm comfortable sharing with them, I will. Like I'm really worried about the flat tire on the car. Like, But if it's something I'm not comfortable sharing with them because I worry developmentally it's not appropriate, then I'll say, you know, I'm tired and I'm having a rough day. And so they start to craft a narrative that's like, oh, mom didn't lose it with me because she's pissed at me. She lost it with me because she's having a terrible day. Um, And sometimes their behavior is not awesome. And we also talk about that. Like, I don't have a lot of patience right now, but you also threw the ball in the house after I asked you 87 times not to. So this was kind of a team meltdown here. So let's just own that for what it was. I love that. Yes, that's a good way of saying it. You know, so I think not losing it is just about behaving in a way that seems predictable and logical for the situation. But if you've asked your kid 87 times to put on their shoes and then you end up snapping with them, I actually think that's fine. Like it's not pleasant, but we're all humans and your kid knows why you snapped at them. Yes. You know what I mean? I hope that makes sense. That makes complete sense. This was like a big weight lifted off my shoulders because I don't think I, I had, I know I had the wrong perspective of what not losing it meant. Cause I thought it was like, I have to be patient. I have to be calm. I have to have it together. And this was a big weight lifted off this topic. Like I mentioned earlier, you bring a lot of self-compassion to it. This is your And I think that it translates from the choice of how you choose to use the tone of the book, of making it relatable, making putting humor into it. And I think that is ingenious because it really, like, as I was reading this, it didn't feel like a, it didn't feel like heaviness. You're already feeling, yes. So I wanted you to be like hands, like hands down to you because it didn't add any heaviness to it because, or shame or guilt. It was really felt very liberating. And my heart makes me so happy because we know, right? Like laughter makes things more like it, it doesn't make things as serious. We aren't, you know, we don't get down in those heavy emotions. So that's why one of the big things that I really love this book is because of that. But I'd love for you to talk more about having self-compassion for ourselves in those moments when we actually do lose it and steps that we could do to kind of overcome that. Yeah. ourselves. I love this question. Self-compassion has, has changed my life 100%. And I will tell you, you know, I have degrees in psychology and social work and over, you know, over a decade in school, I never once heard this phrase. And then when I first heard it in a mindfulness training, I was like, oh, barf, I'm out of here. You know, all I could picture was Stuart Smalley on Saturday Night Live sitting in front of his mirror being like, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. Like, 
I thought it was really cheesy. I thought it was really corny. And I was like, I'm not doing this. And I literally was like an obstinate four-year-old sitting on the floor of this meditation room being like, I'm not putting my hand on my heart. I'm out. And then I actually started reading about it and learning about it. And there's really incredible research um, on the practice of self-compassion and what it means. And once I started actually getting over myself and practicing it, I was like, this has changed my life. So most of us, when we lose it with our children, we have this litany of terrible thoughts going through our minds, Mm. things we would never say to another person. I'm a terrible mother. I'm screwing up my kids. We make a joke about how much money is in the therapy fund. Like, Mm. you know, I'm really messing this up. And the problem is, those are all triggers, right? Mm -hmm. We're triggering ourselves worse. We're feeling sort of stressed and threatened and more likely to mess up again and more likely to lose it with our kids. So not only does it just feel bad, it feels unpleasant, but it, it actually perpetuates the cycle we're going to, we're trying to get out of. Mm -hmm. So what does self-compassion look like? Well, on a really basic level, it's just about speaking to ourselves and thinking of ourselves the way we would think or speak to a good friend. So if your friend called you up and said, oh, I had a terrible day with my kids and I totally lost it with them and I'm the worst mother, you wouldn't be like, oh yeah, you actually are a terrible mother and your kid is going to be screwed up for life. And why don't you go have a bottle of wine and a pan of brownies and try to forget this day ever happened because you (laughs) suck. Like we wouldn't say that to our kids or our best friends. Why are we treating ourselves this way? So what does it look like instead? It looks like, well, on a really important level, reminding ourselves that we are not alone, right? These challenges that we all have in parenting, they are deeply human. And we are part of a broad community that is all struggling with them, no matter what Facebook or Instagram would have us believe. We are all struggling, okay? So we're not alone. And it's okay to make mistakes, right? You can be a fabulous parent and make mistakes. You can be a good enough parent and make mistakes, right? We all screw it up. Mm -hmm. And what do we need, right? What do we need to take care of ourselves to take care of our kids? Like there are times when I'm losing with my children and I'm like, oh, I actually have to pee. I have to pee really bad. And I've been running around like crazy and I haven't gone to the bathroom. And maybe I'll be Mm -hmm. less tense if I just go to the bathroom, (laughs) you know, as opposed to I'm a terrible person. Maybe I just need to eat something. You know, so this sense of curiosity, right, of what do I need? What does my child need? Why is this happening? Curiosity is not only an inherently kind approach, like I am, I care enough about you or myself to be interested in myself or in you, Mm -hmm. but it also might give us some useful information. Like when I don't have enough food to eat, I get cranky. That's good to know, right? Yeah. Again, so, um, and compassion is a practice. And the way I think about it is it's almost like learning to speak a new language. So there is a meditation, the loving kindness meditation, where we repeat these phrases, you know, and the phrases I often use are, you know, may I be happy? May I be healthy? May I be safe? May I live Mm -hmm. with ease? Um, And, you know, when I'm really angry at my daughter, sometimes what I think is, may you be happy? May you be healthy? Mm -hmm. May you be safe? May you live with ease? May I not strangle you at this particular moment? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and the thing is when you first start thinking and saying and repeating these phrases in your meditation, um, it's weird. It sounds weird. It feels weird. And when you try to come up with these wishes of loving kindness in a difficult moment and you haven't been practicing, it can be very hard to find the words right? because it really does feel like a new language. And it's a language that many of us didn't grow up speaking, not because our parents didn't love us, but because our parents didn't grow up speaking that language either. Right. And so when we can practice it in calmer moments, either by 
practicing loving kindness meditation or spending time with people who talk to us this way? Who are the people in your family or your friends or your pediatrician or the teachers or who in your life is going to be supportive and say, you're a great parent. You're just doing a hard thing, right? Mm -hmm. And the more we can surround ourselves with this language, the more naturally these words will come to us in difficult moments. And so now when I lose it, I no longer think to myself, I'm a terrible mom. What I think is, gosh, I'm having a bad day and that's okay. What can I do better? And that's, it's not denying reality. That's not saying everything's perfect and I'm amazing. It's just taking a much more compassionate approach to a difficult moment. And then I'm more likely to calm down. I become less triggered and I'm less likely to lose it with my kids. And now what I hear out of my daughter is, mommy, you must be tired. You're probably having a bad day. Mm-hmm. And when she says that to me, I'm like, well, part of me wants to honestly bite her head off sometimes. Yes. I'm like, don't talk to me about my bad day. <laughs> but there are also many moments where I'm like, yeah, thank you. You're right. That's what it is. So compassion is huge. Absolutely. And I think even when you were sharing with like the loving, like putting your hand on your heart is an instantaneous way of like letting your entering back into your heart space. Um, And I thank you for sharing that loving kindness. For those of you who have never heard of it, you can just Google loving kindness meditation and these little affirmations, like placing your hand on your heart and just saying that, you know, for me, I like will put my hand, I'm like, I'm safe. And my child, you know, I'll be like, I, my son's, my older son's name is Ayan. I'm like, Ayan is not a threat. Cause it is, it feels like in the moment, you feel like your child is kind of like that saber toothed tiger who's gonna, like your body doesn't know the difference. Like, right. you know, yeah, it, it considers like the same emotional and physical, physical reaction is of like a saber toothed tiger coming at you. So, um, you know, finding your own mantra, of, I think it really is personal, like finding yes. what makes you feel connected to that loving, that pure, that genuine part of yourself and your soul. Um, And I just want to repeat your words back to you because I loved, because you mentioned this, you know, you say that, you know, we're doing an incredibly hard job and you're doing it without the right information, support, resources, and rest. That to me was huge because we have to remember that we're learning. And as we learn to do better, we will you know, we'll continue to do better, but just giving yourself that grace that we are parenting is so difficult, like as you share in the book, and it's not, it's, it's stressful for every one of us. It's not, not stressful, you know, and we have our, we have our different types of stresses and our child could be different, but we all have it. And I think that's really important to recognize. And thank you for bringing the light. And I just wanted to share this, that you're really creating a movement when you're talking about self-compassion, you being an expert and being so honest and authentic about sharing that, hey, this happens to me and you're freely, and I can sense it and I could feel it in the book and having a conversation with you right now, you're very open and not hiding anything like, oh, this doesn't, there's no air of preachiness or no air of I'm better or I'm up here and you're down here. And that's what I want, you know, I know the listeners will feel that as they listen to you, but that's what you're going to get when you read the book. And I really, really suggest it because thank you for creating this openness and this conversation of more self-compassion for us, because I think this is what's really needed, especially in a world where it's jaded and thinking that everything is perfection. So thank you, Carla, for doing that. Thank you. I so appreciate that. And it was it was really a reflection of the gift that my friends gave me, the ones who opened up to me about how hard parenting was for them and helped me feel less alone. So yes, Mm -hmm. I do share the stories of my struggles and challenges because 
You know, we all put on our pants one leg at a time. I'm right here with you all. And I've chosen to study this, but I'm also living the challenges, right? And trying to figure out how to how to be the kind of parent I want to be. And I think we all have different styles and, and different things that inspire us. I mean, I loved what you were saying about Ayurveda. It's it's and that's something that guides you in your parenting. And what I really encourage parents to do is find the style that mm-hmm. works for them. And just my hope with this book is to create the space where they can start to think about, you know, how do you how do you work with what you already have, your own style, your own family, your own resources, information, and use that to find a way to be more calm in really stressful moments. Yeah. And I think you do it. This is definitely a different approach to it. And I say that because I've read other parenting books and you know that there's so many books out there, um, but you do approach it in a completely different way that I think resonates with modern moms, like the younger moms that like, you know, who, who are just new in the trenches. I feel like you really speak to, you speak to us because you're like very, yeah, it really speaks to us. And I think um, I'm really excited for, um, the listeners to grab your book and to learn more about it. And, um, you know, if there was one piece of advice, Carla, that you would want the mama listeners here today to take away, what would it be? Oh, absolutely. Self-compassion. 100%. If you take nothing else away from this conversation or this book, it's that I want, I wish all of us could hold ourselves with more compassion and kindness and understanding and forgiveness. Um, Because not only does that make parenting easier, more fun and feel better, but it's actually a super effective way to change behavior. And I talk about that more in the book so folks can read about it. But um, cut yourself some slack, guys. You're doing a really hard thing. And just because it's hard doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Right. Thank you so much for ending with that beautiful message. It's definitely one that we need to embrace in our heart. And, um, you know, this conversation is really just the tip of the iceberg of all the wisdom bombs that are in your book. So <laughs> it really is. Like, I could talk to you for another two hours oh. because there's so much in here. But Carla, can you share with the listeners where they can purchase your book? Where's the best place that they can go buy it? Absolutely. It's available on IndieBound, Amazon, you know, Barnes and Noble, wherever online you like to shop, or also please go find your independent bookstore, uh, buy it from your local folks. And right now it's early December of 2019 and the audiobook is not out yet, but it is coming. So if you follow me on social media, just Google me Carla Nomberg or how to stop losing your s with your kids. Um, and if you follow me on social media or my newsletter, you will get all the news about when the audiobook is coming out because it's on its way. That's exciting. Um, because, uh, but just make sure, is your, are you going to have just curiosity with the audiobook? Are you going to have it the clean version or is it going to be like exactly like how your book is? Like when you're, reading oh, it? it will not be clean. It <laughs> will definitely Good. be swear words in the book, in the audiobook. So your, your don't listen to that with your four year old. Um, <laughs> yeah, put your earbuds in and listen to it that way because um, we have someone who just read the book the way it's written and there are definitely curse words in the book. Yeah. And, you know, so if you're, if you're not offended by a fiery, fiery or spicy language, this is definitely, this is definitely, I feel like it would be a fun audio book to listen to. Yeah. It's going to be great. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Carla, for being here and sharing your, this heartfelt uh, and warming conversation with me. I truly took so much out of it and I'm so blessed to have this moment to connect with you. Oh, and thank you. And thank you for all the work you do supporting moms and parents. Thank you. Bye, guys. See you in the next episode of Time in Talks.
If you love this episode, I'd be so grateful if you subscribe on iTunes, share it with your mama besties, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. All you got to do to share is screenshot it, share it on your Instagram story, use the hashtag Time and Talks Podcast, and tag me at Dejal V Patel. Of course, you can just text your mama besties the pod too, which is also totally cool. And if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, as my special thank you, I'd like to give to you my seven-day stress detox course absolutely free. This is a $79 value course I'm giving to you complimentary as my thank you for leaving a review. If you're a mom who wants tools to use in the heat of the moment that helps you decrease stress, manage your triggers, stop your own meltdowns, or you just want to infuse a simple moment of peace throughout your busy day to get centered, well, you want to get your hands on these tools. These tools are rooted in ancient Ayurvedic and yogic wisdom, and these kundalini meditations that I teach only take three minutes or less to feel better. These are my daily go-to tools that keep my stress at bay and help me feel calm and centered, and I'd love to make them available to you. All you gotta do is email me a screenshot of your review over to Dejal at DejalVPatel.com. That is T-E-J-A-L at T-E-J-A-L-V-P-A-T-E-L.com. I'll send you the course details right away so you can get started. And stay tuned. My book, Meditation for Kids, 40 Activities to Stay Present, Improve Concentration, and Manage Difficult Emotions is going to be released in spring 2020. This is going to be your favorite guide to make meditation fun, simple, and a part of your family's daily routine. Till next time. Bye, guys.